There is a tax loophole that you need to be taking advantage of. If you're not, you're leaving thousands of dollars on the table. Don't miss out on this. We're talking with Ryan Carrier and Thomas Costelli of the Tax Smart Real Estate Investing Podcast here on the Fearless Investor Podcast. I believe true wealth cannot be measured by your income. It is instead measured by your availability of choices, especially the choice to live life on your terms. I also believe there are many ways to create wealth, but one thing is for certain, you have to have a laser focus on one path. My path, Airbnb, but I also believe in education and expanding your mind. Education helps you take off the blinders of life and see opportunities you never saw before. Join me on this journey of learning how to create wealth in Airbnb, real estate, and so many more investment strategies. Together, we can conquer the world of investing. My name is Kyle Stanley, and this is the Fearless Investor Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome into the Fearless Investor Podcast and YouTube channel. Really excited to have Thomas Caselli and Ryan Carrier on today's episode. This is something that I'm, I'm not an expert when it comes to taxes. Uh, I don't even know the lingo on most stuff. I just go to my CPA and say, how do I save the most amount of money? And he has he knows that I, I have him on speed dial and he knows that I'm always uh, asking him for, for help in this stuff. But this is really unique uh, information that a lot of people don't know about. In fact, after being in short-term rentals for probably close to two and a half years, I had not even heard of this. And then it when it, when I finally did hear about it, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to be make sure, making sure that I'm actually following this. And so that's what we're going to be talking about with Thomas and Ryan today, but also as always, have you signed up for Price Labs? It's the number one easiest tool to add to your business. It's so low cost, $20 per property if you're just starting out, and then it just goes down and down and down from there. And what it allows you to do is it allows you to buy all your time back from looking into what should I price this day at? What should this property be priced at on this week? And it takes supply and demand. It's called dynamic pricing. Dynamic pricing is supply and demand. And it says, hey, if 90% of the market is booked on this day and you're not booked yet, we're going to jack up your prices because the demand is really high on that day versus, hey, this one is only... Uh, booked at 10%. So the demand is low, we're going to drop your prices to try to get people to book. And that's exactly how Price Labs works. I have made an extra 15, right around close to 20% since adding Price Labs into our business. And I can't tell you how much time it has saved me and my team as a, uh, you know, an automated process for this whole thing. So how do you get it started? If you're watching on YouTube, all you got to do is go down to the link below and get your free 30 day trial started plus an onboarding training from the CEO of Price Labs. But if you're listening on the podcast, make sure you go over to fearlesskyle.com forward slash Price Labs. And again, you will have that link right there. Make sure you use our link because if you don't, you're not going to get that onboarding training. Now let's get into the fun world of talking taxes with the Tax Smart Real Estate Investing Podcast, guys. All right, everyone. Uh, so you are tuning in right now live on Airbnb Masterminds. We are talking about the number one tax secret that most short-term rental hosts don't know about. And we're talking about that with the Tax Smart guys. Uh, they have the Tax Smart Real Estate Investing Podcast. Thomas Costelli, Ryan Carrier, guys, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you, thank you for having us. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I got to be on your guys' show. It was awesome. Got to share my story. But even in just that short time, I was able to learn a few things about the Airbnb and short-term rental tax code that I think a lot of people don't know about. So that's really what we're going to be talking about today. But before we got get into that. Um, Ryan, I know you own one Airbnb and I usually like to ask 
do you have any crazy Airbnb stories uh, that you want to share? Are you self-managing or do you have someone else managing? Let me, let me start there. Yeah, we are self-managing, which is uh, a very fun, uh, fun uh, thing to be doing. Uh, it's certainly much more involved than a, a long-term rental property with a 12 month lease or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, not a full-time thing, but it's like, Hey, every time I, I get a message from Airbnb, it's like, Oh no, what is this going to say? What, what <laughs> issue is going to pop up or what complaint do they have? Or did I get a five-star review? It's, it's always those kind of like, ah, oh, shoot, I hope they, they're having a good experience. So we got we to get you more Airbnbs so you can make more money and, and outsource all that stuff so that you yeah. don't worry about it. <laughs> I, I do have one story that I was thinking about, yeah. um, just real quick. I, uh, we've had about 41 reviews or so, and uh, we've had one guest give us a three-star review. Okay. okay. So this is basically my, my short story here. Basically, they had a great stay with us, and they said that in their public review. Okay. They're like, great stay, nice area, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, wait, you gave <laughs> us a three-star review, but you said it was a great stay and you had no complaints, right? And so we're super confused. And, you know, everything says that they had a great, a great time. So we go back to them and say, like, what, why did you give us a three-star review if you had such a great stay? Right. And basically, we come to find out that they don't understand how reviews work. They were thinking almost like, hey, this is not a five-star hotel, so they don't earn, like, a five-star review. Oh, no. <laughs> so we're basically going back and forth with them uh, through Airbnb messages, trying to figure out what can we do because they basically say, hey, yeah, we do want to redo the review and give you guys a five-star. So we're calling customer service multiple times over the course of like two months, trying to figure this out. He has to reach out to them, Airbnb customer service directly. He told me that he did that, but then Airbnb customer service is like, nope, we don't see that. So it's this whole debacle. And like, you know, thankfully we still got like a 4.88 star review overall, which is not a big deal or anything, but it was just like, man, this really threw us for a loop. And it was like, who's going to see this three-star review and then not, you know, stay at our place. So you know, that was our interesting story. We do talk about that a lot when, with my students. And, and that is some people really just don't know what is a good star rating. So something just as simple as asking for the five stars makes a big difference. Have you started doing that? Sorry, they're coming off mute. Uh, we, we did start doing that, especially with guests that it looks like they have zero reviews. Because then it's like, hey, they probably don't know how this works, right? If they're brand new or we've seen people who are either just like out of the country where it's like, okay, maybe they do reviews a little differently there. So now we have started implementing that a little bit just to like, okay, these people are new to this. We got to kind of explain how this works. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Well, tell, tell me a little bit about uh, the, the Tax Smart Real Estate Investing Podcast. What, what got you guys into starting that and... Um, and just a little bit about the background of what you're talking about on, on that podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, my business partner, Brandon, actually started the podcast back in 20, 2015, I think. And uh, he would, he, he'd do some episodes on taxes every once in a while. But uh, I came, over, came, came on board, took it over, made it a weekly podcast. And what we discussed there is really uh, tax strategies and how to reduce and minimize taxes for real estate investors as a whole. Um, many of, our, many of uh, people in our audience these days are short-term rental investors. So what we've done is we've actually, we've had an sh entire short-term rental series that we, that we released on how to use the short-term rental loophole and everything on the podcast over the last year or so. 
So that's been, that's been interesting. I know Kyle, you've been on our show recently. So what we do sometimes is we also bring on investors, people who are in the game um, onto the show and interview them on, you know, what, uh, what their strategies are, what their best, what their best practices are to also help our listeners also not only reduce their taxes, but grow their business. Because you know, at the end of the day, everybody's in this game, you know, to build wealth and, and all of that. So it all kind of ties in together, both the business aspect of it, as well as the tax act aspect. And that's kind of uh, what we do. We get to tie in the business and the taxes uh, kind of together. Cool. So I, I do want to jump into that really quickly. There are so many different things to me about taxes that just go right over my head. So today, what what is like, and by the way, guys, if you're listening in, if you're watching on Airbnb Masterminds, make sure you are posting your comments. What's your number one tax question right now that you have for your business? These are the professionals. You got them for the next 30 minutes. Let's go ahead and take advantage of having these guys on the show. Um, so like when we talk about taxes, to me, the most underrated thing that people don't understand is even if you have a W-2 uh, owning a business on the side and how that can benefit you know, your W-2 or even owning real estate in an LLC and how that can benefit you. Do you want to talk about just that for a second? And just, you know, like, let's just take the, the average person who has one or two Airbnbs, whether they own them or arbitrage them or, or you know, co-host them. What's just like one or two little tips for them that could, could help them in their business today? Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of, uh, basically, long story short, when you have, when you buy a rental property, right, um, you're going to have something called depreciation. Um, and depreciation is uh, basically you're recovering the cost of the property every year. And that shows mm -hmm. up as an expense on your profit and loss statement. And the best part about depreciation, it's a non-cash expense. So it's very possible. In fact, it's probable that you will show a loss on your property, uh, despite the fact that you actually earned cash flow, right? So the way I kind of break this down is with an example, right? Let's just say you have $10,000 in rental income. Okay. And then you have $6,000 in hard expenses. And these are expenses that actually left your bank account. I'm talking about repairs, maintenance, maybe it's uh, property taxes, uh, property management fees, whatever the case is, commissions to, to agents, if you use agents, whatever the case is. And uh, that would leave you with about $4,000 of cash flow. Now, this cash flow would otherwise be taxable income and you, and you pay tax at your ordinary income rates uh, on this income. But thanks to depreciation, um, it shelters that income from tax. So let's just bring depreciation to the equation here. You had $10,000 of rental income. You had $6,000 of hard expenses. These expenses left your pocket. Now you have this $5,000 depreciation expense. And this $5,000 depreciation expense basically shelters uh, that income from tax because now you have a negative $1,000 loss. So you have a $1,000 loss, which means, A, you didn't pay any taxes, on your rental income, which is which is one of the best benefits of investing in real estate, tax-free uh, cash flow uh, or tax advantage cash flow. And then uh, the second thing is now you have this loss. And the big question is, well, what happens to this loss, right? Well, if you have a long-term rental property, uh, this loss is pretty much going to be considered passive. And what that means is it can only offset your other passive income. It can't offset your active income, unfortunately. Um, so what, what ends up happening is uh, there's something called the short-term rental loophole. And what that does is it allow you to, allows you to bypass the, the passive activity rules or the passive activity limits when you own short-term rentals and turn that loss 
non-passive. So uh, I gave an example, pretty, pretty light example with that $1,000 loss. But with Airbnbs, we typically see much greater losses. We're talking about 10, 20, 30, 50, $100,000 losses that if you can make those non-passive, they can offset your W-2 or your active business income. And, and that can be used to significantly reduce your tax bills. And uh, one of the really cool things about Airbnb, uh, about Airbnb and short-term rentals is that this, this strategy is, is really almost one of a kind because there's not many strategies out there, uh, Ryan, Ryan knows, that you can use to significantly reduce your tax bills on your active income. Um, there's just not that many of them out there, and, and, and short-term rentals are, are one of the key ways of doing that. So re- wrap that up for me again. You, the passive, uh, or you said that the short-term rental loophole is what exactly, again? Yeah. So basically, the, so all rentals are passive by default under the U.S. tax code, which means the losses coming off of those rentals cannot be used to offset your active income. Okay. So the short-term rental loophole is, is if you basically, if you have a property that has an average stay of seven days or less, yes, then it's going to accept you from that definition of a rental activity. And then what happens is you typically, then at that point, you have a regular business. And if you active, if you're actively involved in that business, you have to meet certain requirements. It's, it's, it's a, it goes a little bit further in depth than that. But if you're actively involved, basically what ends up happening is the losses become non-passive. And then that means you can use it to offset not only the rental income that you're earning, but also income from other sources awesome. uh, that you might have. So essentially, if I'm a doctor, a lawyer, a, you know, a high net worth individual, and I decide I want to go and get one Airbnb and I have, you know, call it a, a $30,000 loss in year one um, because of cost of furniture and, and, you know, maybe cost segregation. And I want to talk about that a little bit more as well and ask you some questions on that. Um, then I can now take that and apply it against my call it $200,000 W2 that I have. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. Ryan, do you yeah. want to break that down a little bit? Yeah. So if you've got, you know, if it is a lawyer or a doctor, if it's $500,000, you know, W-2 income or something, if you've got, you know, someone buys a $500,000 property, short-term rental, Airbnbs it out, like Thomas said, keeps the average day seven days or less uh, per guest over the course of the whole year. And then you meet one of these material participation tests to make it non-passive. Then basically, uh, you know, I think we're going to talk about this more, but doing a cost segregation study like you were alluding to through some math and through kind of what we normally expect based on the purchase price. Uh, Tom, maybe remember the numbers, but that could come to like, you know, an $80,000 expense or a hundred thousand dollars of bonus depreciation. That expense then offsets your $500,000 W2 income. Mm -hmm. Now you've just reduced your wages or sorry, your total taxable income down to now 400,000, excluding anything else that might be included in that. Okay. So we've, now at maybe a 32%, 35% tax rate, maybe some blend in there, take that 100,000 times the 32% tax bracket, you've possibly just given yourself a $32,000 tax refund, right? Taking that tax bracket times the, the new bonus depreciation amount, because now it can actually offset that W-2 wage, that, that's, that's basically how it's broken down. That's awesome. Uh, we are already getting a ton of questions. I see your questions, guys. Uh, Dan, good to see you. It was good talking to you earlier today. Jeremy, always good to see you on these. April, how you doing? Thanks for jumping in. 
Hey, Georgette, we see all your questions, Ricardo. We're going to get to them here in a second. Um, Danny says the camera looks fire. Yeah, just just got this new camera. Not not looking too bad, huh? Um, all right, so we've already alluded to it, cost segregation. What is cost segregation? Right, so cost segregation, so when you buy a property, you're not just buying the building, right? There's all the components within the building. Well, so the a property, an Airbnb property, is typically depreciated over... 39 years. So that means that over, over a long period of time, you're depreciating it. And that that's pretty small depreciation expense. But what a cost seg does, it will, an engineer is going to come down to your property and they're going to survey your property and they're going to break down all the different elements, the carpets, the, 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 the windows, the, the appliances, the ceiling fans, the doors, all of these different components, going to break it all down. And typically anywhere between 20 to 30% of that purchase price, like Ryan mentioned before, is going to be broken down into property that qualifies as either five-year, seven-year, or 15-year class life. Mm. And that property with, with, with basically a class life of 20 years or less uh, can be depreciated all in that first year thanks to bonus depreciation. So again, what the cost seg does, uh, the engineer is going to come to your property. They're going to break everything down and give you a report of property that falls in that five, seven, 15, and 39-year bucket. And uh, generally, any anything with a 20-year class life or less, again, will be eligible for this, something that's called 100% bonus depreciation, which means that it could be fully depreciated in that first year you place that property in the service. Basically, you start renting it out. Yeah. So, guys, just, just to, again, what we're talking about with cost segregation is, and to me, where, where we're going to be using it this year, you know, last year, just... Like me personally, I got hit hard with taxes and it was the first time in my life that I was like, oh my gosh, that sucked. Um, so now we're looking at, hey, you know, if we can go and buy a piece of real estate before the end of the year, especially self-managing it, taking this loophole, cost-segging it and being able to offset, you know, way more, you know, let's, let's just call it a, like you said, $500,000 property and now $80,000 I get to use as, as taxed appreciable or taxed uh what, what's the word i'm looking for because i told you i'm not a i'm not a tax expert ryan you want to go for it yeah bonus depreciation bonus depreciation that's oh did we just lose my my video I don't yeah know. we're gonna look goofy there oh what just happened there i don't know first time using this sorry guys we're gonna yeah your, your brand new camera up oh, there yeah there we go that was weird um all right and now i'm not even showing up in the Okay, I, th I think I'm good. We're good. We're back. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Um, so the bonus depreciation is now something that if I like to me, October, I'm in, hey, I'm going to get $100,000 of taxes, I'm going to go instead go buy a new piece of property and bonus depreciate $80,000. Now I'm only paying $20,000 in taxes. Like this is where I see this play being really big, especially for those of you that have high paying W2s, or maybe you have an LLC like, you know, an Airbnb LLC that's paying you $250,000 or more, this can be a really big play. Is that, is that a good kind of evaluation of how a lot of your clients use it? Yeah. <clears throat> and I was just going to say the bigger, the purchase price, the bigger, the property and the greater your income bracket, right? If we're talking about that 30, 37% top tax bracket, the more beneficial this is going to be to you. Mm -hmm. And you were kind of mentioning that to, to some of your, uh, you know, folks listening and whatnot. As we move down, you know, to a lower uh, tax bracket or a lower purchase price, 
just because of the way the numbers work. It's just a math equation, right? It will be less effective, but for those, and especially those higher brackets, the higher numbers, yeah, it's, it's extremely effective. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this, I'll say this. I had, I had one client who saved in excess of $130,000 in taxes using this strategy and, you know, just repeated the process over and over again. So, I mean, it, I've, I've seen it really make it's, it's, it's it could be quite powerful. Cool. So going along with that, Anthony had actually a question that I think is going to relate to this. Why do I keep hearing that cost segregation isn't worth it if the property is below $500,000 in value? Do you want to speak to that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so basically, so there's a cost associated with the cost segregation study. Usually an engineer is going to have to fly out to your property unless they're local to you. So there's travel expenses in there for them. And the, the cost segregation study, you know, it varies, but it can cost upwards of $2,000. And uh, when you have a smaller property, the tax savings on that smaller property is not going to, is sometimes very close. If not, that doesn't even, you know, doesn't even cover the entire cost of that cost segregation study. So that's why people hear that. But, uh, you know, the good news is though, there's something called a software cost segregation study or a desktop study. It's called these days where basically instead of an engineer coming down to your property, you actually put information about your property into a software and the software is using, is provided by a, by a cost segregation company is using proprietary algorithms, data, uh, national databases, and all the information they have about the cost of various components uh, of your property and giving you that report um, on a property that's less than that, that less than $500,000, which is a lot less expensive. I mean, these software studies are ranging between 500 dollars and $1,000, and it's a lot more cost effective. So your, tri- your traditional cost segregation study, again, with the engineer, that might not cover the benefits that might not cover the cost of the study. The benefit might not be, it, the juice may not be worth the squeeze, mm. but if you're able to reduce your costs of that study by using a desktop study or software study, then, uh, then it can become advantageous on, on, on basically properties that are $500,000 or less. Okay, cool. I like it. Um, Someone just asked, uh, what about, it looks like DIYCostSeg.com. Have you ever used that or do you recommend that? Yeah, so that's that's actually one of the softwares. A lot of our clients do use that. We always cool. recommend though, that if you are going to use a desktop study, um, that you do purchase the audit support along with it. And the reason for that is that these studies have not been battle tested against the IRS yet. Mm. Cost segregation companies, very confident that it will be upheld. But in the worst case scenario, if you have that audit support, they'll actually fly down to your property, do the actual study to back it up. Uh, so just something to throw out there. I mean, we've had dozens of clients use this, no, no problems, but it's sweet. Just, we always recommend audit support. Sweet. Uh, Jeremy asked that question and I think he liked the answer because he just said, boom. So <laughs> he, like, he likes it. He's going to go check it out now. Um, so let me make sure I understand everything in regards to this STR loophole. Uh, it has to be, again, seven days or less. Um, it has to be, does it have to be actively on any specific websites in order to, to do this? Or like, if I have all these connections, can I, can I just direct book it out? And then also, uh, it sounds like I have to self-manage. Is that right? I can take right. that one. Yeah. Basically to get to, uh, what we call material participation, you pretty much need to ma- like manage it yourself, unless you've got so many properties that you can get to you know, a lot, a lot of hours uh, for maybe some of your folks listening, if they are doing this kind of full time, 
Uh, maybe, you know, they can have some property managers in there uh, because they can meet one of these material participation tests. But generally speaking, if someone's got one, two, three, four, five, there's no, you know, bright line test. It depends on the number of hours that you get. Then, yeah, they're probably going to need to self-manage that property or properties themselves. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now, the, the seven-day average kind of is interesting to me. So, again, the way that I understand it, it's not every stay has to be under seven days. It's just the average has to be seven days. So, if I have a 30-day stay followed by, you know, three call it one day stays, the average of that is, you know, right about that seven or eight days. Um, am I, am I, first of all, explaining that correctly? It's an average, not a minimum or not a maximum for every stay. Correct. That's, that's okay. correct. It's the average for the, it's the average over the entire year. Cool. Why do you think they picked that seven day? Like that's really unique to me because 30 days <laughs> or more is midterm and anything under is short term. So why not 20 day, 29 days? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So these laws were all were all written back in the '80s um, when and, and were designed for hotels, right? So um, one of, one of the other exceptions to the rule is that you have an average stay of 30 days or less, but you also provide substantial services. And substantial services would be things you find in a hotel, like bed, like a daily breakfast, daily cleanings of the rooms, uh, tours. Uh, certain equipment, free free rides, things along uh, things of that nature. So, seven days. I mean, I, I think seven days kind of makes sense because if you're traveling, most people are traveling for seven days or less when you go on a vacation. So, I guess they said, you know what, you know, if people are, hotels are going to be a hospitality business or hotel, they're going to be having an average stay of seven days or less. So let's make that an exception. Um, and then the thirty days or more, like if you're traveling for extended stays on business, then at that point you're going to be expecting things like maid services and and dry cleaning and stuff like that that may be provided by the by by the by the by the host then uh then that's also going to come into that bucket as well okay interesting um so you guys have a course and and i want to get to all these questions here right after you talk about this for a second but i know you have a course you have a mastermind um i'm going to drop that in the comments right now what is you know, I, I just got the, the the tax law right from you, and and the natural thing for me seems to be like, all right, I'll just go talk to my CPA about this and make sure they understand. It. But what would be the benefit of someone in going and having you know the the course or being a part of this mastermind you guys have instead of just passing it off to their CPA? Yeah, right. So that's a great question. So uh, the short term rental loophole. Um, so the course itself it breaks down everything you need to know about the short term rental loophole. I mean everything, the ins and outs. It has the citations to the tax court cases, has citations to the tax code. Everything you would need to have a conversation with your CPA. And you know what we covered here today is the gist of the short term rental loophole. There's a lot of nuances and there's a lot of tricks and landmines for the unwary that if you don't, if you don't thoroughly understand what you're doing, you can easily blow this strategy up for yourself because it is a loophole and there, there is a fine line you have to draw. So, mm. I mean, the benefit is you're going to know everything you need to know about go, uh, after going through this course. And if you're working with a CPA, most CPAs honestly don't know this yeah. strategy. They just don't know. They're not aware of it. Uh, they're uncomfortable with it because they don't know it. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, Ryan, Ryan, and, Ryan and myself, we've worked with dozens of clients on this because so many, they go to their CPAs, they just don't know. So basically by going through this course, you're going to know everything you need to know. And you could bring the citations back to your CPA, the tax court citations, the, the actual IRC, the, the internal revenue code citations, so they can also get comfortable with it. So uh, that's the benefit taking the course. You're going to know everything. Every, like I said, everything you need to know is included in the course. That's, that's what we did. 
Awesome. Okay. Um, and for those of you that are watching live right now, I just dropped it in the comments. It says not found, but it's definitely, I just clicked on it. It definitely works. <laughs> so go ahead and click on it if you want to take a look at that. And then um, the for those of you that are going to be watching this on replay, we'll have this in the show notes as well. But uh, let's get to these questions because there are some really good ones here, guys. And I really... Um, th this is probably the most questions I've seen. And I fully expected that because taxes, right? Like people just, uh, don't always have like myself, the best beat on what's, uh, what's expected from them in taxes. So let's, I know Jeremy, April, Ricardo, Dan, Georgette, a lot of you have questions. Some of you have multiple questions. We're going to go through one at a time to make sure everyone gets at least one of their questions answered. Um, Jeremy first said in a partnership, do both parties need 500 hours for material participation to qualify for bonus depreciation? That's a very specific question. Uh, and got, Jeremy sounds like he knows a little bit more about the tax code than, than most. So um, you want to break that down where what exactly those 500 hours, why that's important first, just for some context for everyone? Tom, I can, I can start if you want to fill in, Tom. <clears throat> yeah, go for it. So basically, the 500-hour test, if someone were to meet that, it basically means that it's a safe harbor from the IRS for material participation. If you meet the 500 hours, you don't have to compare your time in that short-term rental or short-term rentals to anyone else's time to meet material participation. Okay. One of the other tests that people can use is the hundred hours and more than any other individual. Okay. So if, if you've got a partnership and you've got two folks who get hundred hours, well, guess what? They're even not one of them have met you know, more than any other individual. So if you're trying to both rely on that test in a partnership, maybe one individual goes to 105 hours, but then they're the only one who can materially participate, right? So then the other person tries to get 110 hours, then they're the only ones who can take this as a non-passive loss, right? And there's like this competition that just kind of keeps going back and forth. And if you're only getting it to that 100 hours and more than any other individual, that, that means that there's going to be this competition. So getting to the 500 hour test means that both of you can meet, meet that material participation in either the one or the couple of short-term rentals, and you would both still qualify for the short-term rental strategy. Anything to add, Tom? No, that's that you hit the nail on the head. Basically, the 500 hours just puts you in the clear. It's the most definitive material participation test because it's the most objective. You get 500 hours, and you don't need to worry about how much time anybody else spends on the property. Got it. And that, I'm assuming, is just per LLC, per property, what, what are we talking about there? Yeah, so that's, so it's traditionally per property. Okay. Um, on a per property basis. Now, what you can do is you can group them together um, and treat all your short-term rentals as one under certain circumstances. Basically, if they meet certain criteria, um, include like, like the basic ones, geographic area, there's uh, commonalities between the control of the business and who, who actually owns, like who has the equity. That stuff is all going to come into play when making that grouping election. But it's traditionally, if you don't make an election to group them together or they don't qualify for an election, then it's going to be on a per property basis. But again, you can group them and you can count them all as one under certain circumstances. Okay, perfect. Uh, April says she just opened her rental in May. Uh, she said, I could not do an LLC due to getting financing. It's not allowed. What does this mean for me? relative to taxes and strategies that I can or should take? I can start with that one too, Tom. Yeah, go for it. Um, whether you, you own a property in an LLC or your personal name, from a tax perspective, basically there's no impact. 
LLCs primarily are for legal asset protection. So whether she owns it in an LLC or not, there's no like tax savings or it's not that you can't, you know, use it as like uh, business deductions or anything like that. Again, there's, there's really no impact. It's all, all going to go, you know, on her schedule E page one, there's, right. there's truly no impact from, from a tax perspective. Cool. So it's mainly just for protection then. Um, Asset protection. Yeah. Awesome. Ricardo asks, what happens to depreciation when I sell a property? Great. I'll take that. I'll take that one. So it's something called depreciation recapture. And basically when you, let, let's, let's start this. Say you have a million dollar property, right? Just for the sake of numbers. And you go ahead and you take this $200,000 bonus depreciation, right? And now, so, so now, so that million dollars is your unadjusted basis. It's called in tax terms. And then you, when you take that depreciation expense, that becomes accumulated depreciation. And your adjusted basis is your unadjusted basis, less all the depreciation or your accumulated depreciation that you took. And when you sell the property, it's the sales price, less your selling costs, so commissions and things like that, less your adjusted basis. So it's not your unadjusted basis, it's your adjusted basis. So depreciation recapture is the amount of basically the gain that you have on sale that represents the amount of depreciation that you took. And there's a tax on the depreciation recapture. And that's, uh, it's typically taxed up to 25%, but certain aspects of it can be taxed higher than that when you sell. But the good news is depreciation recapture can be offset uh, or can be mitigated if you use a 1031 exchange. That's one way to, to get mm. around uh, nice. uh, depreciation nice. recapture. Another way to do it is to buy another property, another short-term rental, for example, and run a cost segregation study on this new short-term rental and uh, use the losses from that new short-term rental to offset the depreciation recapture from the original, the original uh, or the property that you sold. Wow. Okay. That's cool to know. Very unique. Um, Georgette says, uh, so she asked us 18 minutes ago, I'm assuming she was talking about the short-term uh, loop hole. Uh, can this apply to living in the home while getting two rentals from two rooms in the same home, approximately $1,600 per month? Ryan, I'll let you take that. I know you- No, I was going to let you take that one. <laughs> you don't want to take that one? No. All right. So, you, so when you, when you start playing with owner occupied properties, you get into like, you get into hot water very, very quickly and it gets very complicated. Um, so the first thing I understand it depends if you're renting out, if you're, so if you're renting out a room in your, in your, in your house and you do not use that room at all, personally, that room's exclusively used for the short-term rental, then that room will be considered like its own business. It'll be considered like a, uh, for tax purposes, its own little unit within your house effectively. And okay. you'll be able to uh, rent it out, use a short-term rental loophole, depreciate that part of your house and be able to use a short-term rental loophole. Now it's if you use it exclusively uh, as a short-term rental. And uh, now if they also, now if you start getting to the point where you use that room personally, it's going to break down because you can't use that room personally and still have it be a business activity. Um, and if you start to let them use common areas, things, things just get very complicated. So my suggestion would be this, if you're going to use a short-term rental loophole, use it on a property that you're not living in, or if you're going to use it, use it on an ADU. If you have an ADU in the back of your, the back of your house, and that's really popular in California, then, then that's going to be the best, the best way to use it. I, I, it gets really dicey 
when you have someone when you have an owner occupied unit and you're trying to rent out a room yeah that's really cool. i i would say not being a tax expert but also knowing about the advantages of this and now it's been brought to my attention over the last year that she should look into the augusta rule is that something that you guys talk about in your mastermind um, so we don't talk about that specifically. Well, we okay. do talk. So in our, in our group, we have questions from all over. So sure. that's probably come up before the Augusta rule is really used. If you have a residence and you're trying, you basically what the Augusta rule allows you to do allows you to rent out your property for 14 days or less and not pay taxes on the rental income. Yeah. So for example, you know, it, it, it started off as the master's tournament down in Augusta, Georgia, right? So, you know, someone would come in, they want to rent out your house for a week or two. Great, you you earn two thousand dollars of rental income. Let's just say, great, you pocket that and you don't pay tax on it, and that's really what it's for. So what some people will do is they'll rent out their property to a business that they own. That's become popular, yeah. but I don't know, Ryan, unless you disagree. I don't know if the Augusta rule would play into that to this. Market. Yeah, no, I was I wasn't saying it would play into this. I'm just thinking maybe going along with what you guys said. Maybe she should go and get another property just rent out that use the short-term rental loop and then say, Hey, I, I enjoy my house. Let me just rent it out to my LLC. Yeah. I mean, it, it could be done with the Augusta rule. Yeah. She could rent it out, but it, yeah. it, it's in my, in my experience and it, it's, it's a very limited, it's, it's a lot of work to actually implement that strategy compared to the amount of benefits you get from it. Okay. Uh, okay. Good to know. Um, let's see one. Who is next? Dan says, with the recent letters released from the IRS, what is your opinion on them targeting this strategy for an audit? I think you might be talking about the dirty dozen list. So the dirty dozen list is the top 12 strategies that are being, or top 12 questionable strategies the IRS is targeting. This is not on a dirty dozen list because this is a legitimate this is legitimately, it's, it's in the task code, it's in the IRS documents. The dirty dozen list, um, uh, things that are on the dirty dozen list are a scrupulous tax, uh, tax uh, strategy, such as um, the conservation easement. So conservation, conservation easements, basically uh, you donate a piece of uh, land to, to charity, you put a, an easement on it saying you can never, um, never develop it and you get a big tax deduction for doing that. And people, uh, the way that works is it's based on the tax deduction you get, it's kind of based off the highest and best use of the property. It's not the property's value, but the highest and best use value of that property. And um, that's ripe with abuse. So uh, strategies like that and monetized installment sales are on that list, but the short-term rental loophole is not on the list because it's a legitimate business and it's a legitimate business strategy. Awesome. Okay. Um, I've got, let's see. Looks like we've got one last question that applies to you guys, and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. Um, Dan says, can you use it on a rental arbitrage house, call it for new furniture, installing an AC in the bathroom remodel, uh, et cetera? You want me to take that, Tom? Yeah, you want to take it? Yeah, so I've been through this, I think, with one client in particular. So a rental arbitrage, uh, you don't actually own the real estate itself, right? Right. You you are a essentially subleaser of someone uh, else who actually owns the property. So if if I remember correct, Tom, as we've talked about these, basically if you are subleasing, you don't get the depreciation. The true owner of the property 
gets that depreciation. So at that point, you're acting like it's kind of like a normal operating business without the true impact of that depreciation expense. And that's what Tom was mentioning at the beginning of our time was this whole, you know, paper or non non-cash expense that that folks get by owning real estate. So it kind of becomes like a normal operating business. It's still, if I remember correctly, reported on Schedule E uh, rather than Schedule C, but there's there's less benefit because there's no depreciation expense. Okay, awesome. Guys, this has been so much amazing information. Again, if, you, if you're wanting to be a part of the mastermind or go and jump into this course, I've already dropped the link in the comments. If you're watching this on replay, I'm dropping it in the show notes. Uh, but how can, uh, aside from going and following your, your podcast, again, name of it is Tax Smart Real Estate Investing Podcast. Just go search that. Uh, is there any other ways that anyone can connect with you guys? Absolutely. So we, we do have, a, we are a full service CPA firm. So we do taxes, tax planning, accounting services. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to therealestatecpa.com. Uh, that's our website. We can learn more about that. I know the best way to connect with me, we also have a Facebook group, Tax Smart Investors. So you can search for that on Facebook, it comes right up. And then uh, I, I'm on Twitter, Thomas Castelli underscore. Uh, and Ryan, I don't know what's the best way to, you know, Ryan's on LinkedIn, different places. So I'll let Ryan tell it. Yep. I'm on LinkedIn, Ryan Carrier, CPA. Yeah, you'll, you'll probably find me. I don't think there's any others like me. So hopefully that's <laughs> easy. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much, Thomas. Thank you, Ryan, for helping our audience today to conquer the world of Airbnb and short-term rental tax codes. This was fun. Thanks, guys. All right, show notes for this one. I know you're going to want to go to those show notes, especially to check out their mastermind and their course. And that is fearlesskyle.com forward slash tax smart. Very easy, tax smart. So the loophole, once again, just a recap, seven days on average or less, you need to be managing on your own. And it's really just as simple as that. So if you can be doing that, plus buying it in, in that first year, being able to cost seg so much of it, that can be a huge play if you know, you're meeting with your CPA in October and they say, hey, you got $100,000 of taxes you're going to have to spend. Why not just go ahead and put that into a property and have a majority of that offset rather than giving it to Uncle Sam? So Again, fearlesskyle.com forward slash tax smart. I hope you feel smarter today on taxes because these guys brought the fire when it comes to getting better with taxes for short-term rentals. Thanks so much to the Tax Smart Real Estate Investing Podcast guys, Thomas and Ryan. And thank you for helping us to conquer the world of Airbnb. We'll see you next time. Hey, 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 hey.